Welcome to Rise and Rouse, a podcast for people who give a damn. Thank you to everyone tuning in. I love, love, love hearing your thoughts and reactions on each episode every week. This is your host, Erin Allgood, social impact strategist, consultant, and seeker of beautiful collaborations. This week on Rise and Rouse, you'll hear my conversation with Emerald Anderson Ford, the chief diversity officer at the YWCA in Manchester, New Hampshire, and the founder of CRED, Communities Reaching for Equity and Diversity, a DEI consulting business. Emerald is constantly working towards a more just and liberated society through her work, and I'm deeply honored to have collaborated with her on a number of consulting projects. We talk about the power of community in challenging white-dominant culture and the importance of transitioning from isolation into relationship building. This conversation is about what it takes to really center social justice and keep showing up to this work time and time again. I am so excited to be talking with Emerald Anderson Ford today, who is my very, very dear friend and collaborator and just overall amazing person that I'm so excited to introduce you all to. Emerald is a traveling philosopher who specializes in justice and liberation work. She owns a small social equity consulting group and currently serves as the chief diversity officer of the YWCA in New Hampshire. That was one of my favorite things to see that you're a traveling philosopher. Who came up with that? Did I come up with that? You came, you came up with that. <laughs> that's what you put in there. And I was like, fuck yeah. That's what, I, mean, that's a- I mean, you know me, Erin. I feel like... <laughs> Telling philosopher might be one of the best descriptions I have, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, you know, it's funny because my friend Bao, who is also on, um, who's going to, his episode's coming out sometime. He had, it was like a big deal for him to come up with what his title was. Mm-hmm. And it's, he landed on shopkeeper. He runs a, a Vietnamese coffee shop in Seattle. And nice. so he landed on shopkeeper because he's like, business owner felt like not right barista it was not right you know like there was so he went through so much he was very very intentional about what he chose so i think like traveling philosopher feels like the perfect fit for you and just the work that you do sometimes i know myself really well other times and so that's what i was like did i actually say that or did you say that because then i would have been super impressed that you really got me down to a concise phrase with that one. yeah yep I think, I mean, I think if you were like in a toga and like in Roman times, you know. <laughs> That's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start wearing only like wrap dresses. Yes. And have like a little like olive leaf like crown on where I go places. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was happening from now on. You've created a monster. <laughs> I created it. I created a monster because literally I said it. Oh, yeah. It's all, it is all good. So I, so we met, like, how did we first meet? I don't remember so how we first met. In 2019, my family moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Manchester, New Hampshire. And my husband and I had lived here previously in the early aughts. And then we took some time away to move back south because we're both Southern. Um, and when we came back, we were trying to find community, as one does uh, when you move to a new place. And community that was in alignment with who we are as people. And who we had grown to be. And so somebody recommended me and I got an invite to apply to join New Leaders Council. And so I took a look at the NLC page and kind of what it was and was like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a go. So 
I applied and was accepted into the 2020 class of New Leaders Council, New Hampshire. And I think, you know, very late 2019 or extremely early 2019 or 2020, we were introduced because you had already gone through the program and you were serving as a um, a board advi- or something advisor um, for our cohort that year. And so that is how we got initially introduced to one another. Now, that part I am extremely sure on. And as folks can imagine, March 2020, we stopped meeting. <laughs> like yeah. things kind of, you know, got, things got interrupted the way all things that are across the world got interrupted. What I can't pinpoint, Aaron, is when we started working together the way that we work together now. I can pinpoint what we met and I understand that, but I don't know how it evolved. I'm not complaining about it. I'm extremely happy that it evolved. I'm just not exactly sure when and how we stepped our, our foot over into this realm of things. But that is how we met. NLC, probably very early 2020. Yeah, I think that we evolved our into like started stepping into the consulting work when I had a project with the city of Dover and Stratford Regional Planning Commission. That's right. And so that was like, I was like, Emerald, will you please come and do a white dominant culture training with me, please? Like, because <laughs> this is a bunch of like very white people who need, they needed to hear what you had to say. I think that's right. I So I couldn't decide if that came first or if when I asked you to come do city or first. I knew it was yeah. one of those two things, but I couldn't figure out. I didn't know which it was. So I'm leaning on your memory because mine is for shit. I think you're right, though. I think I came to do city year. And yeah, because we did that. That was like super fun because it was like we focused on intersectionality mm-hmm. and we did like a really cool. That was a fun. We did a cool exercise with folks. Yeah. And hopefully people didn't think, I, you know, it's always funny when I do those things because I'm like, do people think I'm crazy? I don't know. It <laughs> was this like. You probably do. And you know yeah. what? That's OK. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that at this point. So. So, yeah. So we had like had this introduction at NLC. And then whichever came first, mm-hmm. we saw something in each other that was like, I'm going to reach out to that person individually and do some work with them. Again, whichever came first or second, I think that that statement probably still stands across the board. And then from there, we were like, huh, maybe it might be worth considering doing work together more in the future. And I think we just started talking from there and, and thought about what was coming across our desks um, as to women who are doing consulting in New Hampshire who have very similar and in alignment ideals on what a lot of our work is and particularly when it comes to identity pieces but also who have like very specific areas of expertise that are not the same so a lot of your stuff was when I when I really started to look at what you might be able to bring the compliments that I bring I was looking at stuff like intersectionality stuff about gender sexual orientation I was like this is not necessarily where I am an expert. I am an expert in understanding like anti-racism strategy in theory, but how do I fold somebody in that's going to be able to complement some of that work? And I think that that's kind of how I saw you initially. And then from there, it's just, it's just grown into a lot of other things, if I'm being honest, which is nice. We get to like learn some of the other strengths. I think, um, I think I've heard you say a couple of times that I, whether it's race related or not, I tend to ask 
some interesting questions sometimes just to like better get people talking no matter what the subject matter is. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting evolution over the last two and a half, three years. I think that when we facilitate together too, it feels, it feels like natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can always like kick it to you as needed, you know, or you kick it to mm-hmm. me or it's like, I know where I need to pick up and run with mm-hmm. something. And it's like being able to like do that is not, I would say it's not necessarily something that's a given in any kind right. of a partnership, you know? And I was like, damn, we're good. We're good together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can take the cues. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. So that's how we met everyone. Okay. Um, that's what we did. And Aaron keeps me around, which is nice. I mean, so I'm still here. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, you were when I, I mean, I think you were the first person I told that I was starting a podcast mm-hmm. and I was like, and you have to be what I'm, you have to be a guest, of course. In my, in my like design, you were originally going to be my first guest. And then that didn't, that I, then it just, the timing didn't work out, but that's okay. And it's okay. You can say the timing and I'm saying this for the world to hear. I am horrible to nail down. <laughs> Because I'm a traveling philosopher, I am traveling a lot. I am terrible at responding to people. And I know these things about myself and I'm working on them. So I'm sorry if the time didn't work out. And I am 100% sure that it was probably on me that the time didn't work out. No, but it's like things, I think it things unfold as in the way that they're supposed to. Like I have trust in the, like, this was like the right timing all along, you know, and yeah, that's my like philosophy. You know, I'll, I'll, I appreciate that because it offers me grace and I need all the grace yeah. in the world. So thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I also knew that you weren't going to be upset with me if I just kind of like started rolling along. You know what I mean? You'd, you're like, I'll fit in when I fit in. You're like, yeah. oh, we'll make it work. Like, I wasn't I didn't have any any doubts about that. Um, I would love if you just could tell me some of the cool stuff you're up to right now, because I think oh. you're do you and, and it doesn't have to be even work related. It could be completely not work related too because you are as a traveling philosopher you go all over the place sharing the good the good word with others like the good word slash have a shit ton of fun (laughs) everywhere you travel and share the good news oh goodness Mm -hmm. um sure oh well i just got back from new orleans you know that Mm -hmm. so i was in new orleans well nine days before that i had just gotten back from london Mm -hmm. um but my birthday was a week ago so y'all will know when we recorded this and when you actually get to hear it. And so that was fun. And I'll tell you what was fun about that, that I don't always get to do, is I was with a group of really supportive, like smart, capable women who are all so extremely different from one another. But like we came together and it, it was so funny. A friend of mine uh, who went with me, Jody, she doesn't go a lot of places and she's an introvert. In like the traditional sense of the word, not an introvert in the way that I say that I'm an introvert. <laughs> so, uh, As if you are, you're not an introvert, I feel I, like. <laughs> but I am because I recharge a lot. I have to yeah. be by myself. The reason I travel so much is because I like to be by myself. I have to like get a, so, so again, not the way that I say I'm an introvert, but like in the traditional sense of the word, mm-hmm. she's an introvert. And something she said to me was, she's like, I would travel with this group of women again. And she hadn't, she didn't know a lot of them before that weekend, last weekend. And she said, there's something about a group of women, mostly women of color. I think of the 10 folks that were there, three of the women identified as white. And so seven of us were women of color. Um, but she said, there's something about a group of women who understand what it means to 
allow each person to have their own agency in a group dynamic while also ensuring that like everybody is cared for. And there's something like really interesting about how it showed up. So that was fun. And I think to answer your question with that, it's not just a traveling piece. I think I am seeking out how to continue to find and build that community everywhere that I go. It's hard finding communities like that and it's hard building communities like that. But I think that that's, that's part of the thing that I'm up to. I find myself more and more trying to be in community with women and femmes in, um, and in particularly with women and femmes of color. Like I'm trying to figure out what that looks like and how that shapes how I feel about myself because you're, you're, the messaging you're hearing is going to feel differently. How people are challenging and holding you accountable is going to can feel a little bit different. And so, yeah, so that's something that, I, that I've been up to, which is like not really work related, although it all is a part of the work. It's all a part of community building, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about. And then, yeah, just traveling. I'm planning. Um, so I was in London over New Year's then went to New Orleans. I think I'm going to go back to New Orleans on March 3rd for my husband's graduating with his master's in his MBA. So, and that's happening in New Orleans. We're trying to figure out we can make that happen. Mm. I'm going to be in Seattle at some point in March. Oh, and then really? One, I of my, go one of my best friends is there and she was in New Orleans. I was like, I need to see her more than just right now. So I think I'm going to go see her for maybe St. Patty's Day. And then planning a trip going to Korea April 22nd through May 9th-ish, Samaya's coming back with me. So Samaya okay. is someone who also was an NLC with me who would have met Aaron the same way. She and I have a really cool relationship. And then I'm planning another trip to go to Bogota, Colombia in October. Ooh. So I mean, people ask what I'm doing. A lot of it is planning travel, one. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I have two kids, so that's that's always keeping me on my toes. And for those of you who don't know, me, my husband is an elected official in the state of New Hampshire. And so when the legislative season starts up, session starts up, it's going to be different for us in our households because Demond is really good at like, Demond is a much better parent than I. I don't say that in a self-deprecating way. I truly believe that. I believe that I am a better spouse than he is. And I believe that he's a better parent. In these relationships, somebody got to be paying attention to each of these things. So I think it's a great balance. Like I'm ensuring that he and I have our time together more than he's necessarily thinking about it, he's ensuring that our kids have what they need. To that end, I don't, I'm not like super engaged in a lot of like the extracurriculars, like getting the girls to and from certain things. This legislative session this spring, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how I have to be more involved in lacrosse and dance. And that's something I'm starting to plan for. And then I guess maybe the last thing I'll say, because I'm doing a lot and we'll talk about more of it, is a uh, YWCA New Hampshire is standing up an emergency women's shelter here in Manchester and really just being a support to the team that is getting it off the ground. Even though I'm a member of senior leadership, we have a team of extremely capable people who are working through this. And so I find myself taking on all of the other tasks. Like I'm, I'm going to be a team player without having to be, have, be the decision maker in this case. So today, even I reached out to the city so that we could get trash cans over there. Hmm. I'm making sure that, you know, Eversource is in our name. Like, I'm trying to do all the admin stuff to ensure that um, I'm able to help the team while also allowing them to, like, really thrive and grow this program that that is a lot of work, but is really exciting. And then preparing for Black History Month in two days. So that's so not a whole lot. <laughs> no, not at all. No. 
I look at like I look at you as being one of those people who's just like a superwoman and you know and just in every like the fact that you can balance it all and you're so good at like calling out where community kind of helps and steps in on mm-hmm. you know which is um you're not doing it all but you still are a wonder woman at the same time <laughs> well i appreciate that but no there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of different things even when it comes to raising my kids it really takes a village and people step in and help and show up and stay a weekend with them mm-hmm. and definitely here at ywca as somebody who is an officer of the organization is so nice to know that like we have a team in place that if if I put something in their lap and say, I will advocate for it and resource, but I need you to do this, they trust me and I trust them to be able to do that. It, it really is a very wonderful feeling. Hmm. Do you mind like sharing a little bit more about your job, like the YW work that you do? Because that's like, you're the first chief diversity officer for the organization. Yeah, it's really interesting. So yeah, I got, I started on the YW September of 2021. So and I am the first chief diversity officer here. And so a lot of what that entails is making sure that the work that we provide to the community has a DEIJ idea, whatever letters you want to use, um, lens to be able to serve our clients. And so at YWC, we have a mission, a very clear mission. Eliminating racism and empowering women. That's the mission. It's very clear. It's pretty succinct. And it's very, it's extremely bold and provocative, if we're being honest. Um, and so, so much of what we do here really has had a focus in on empowering women. So a lot of YW stuff is around understanding those who are um, fleeing and surviving domestic violence and sexual assault. We do run a confidential woman shelter here for folks who have fled those situations. We provide services of uh, court accompaniments. What does it mean to do restraining orders? Um, We do support groups for, again, survivors of DVSA, as well as perpetrators who are in recovery from like, you know, trying to figure out what it means to regain their life as well. There's no overlap in those things, but we do recognize that People are people even when they do terrible things. And sometimes people want to learn from those terrible things. And we don't think that all people want to learn, but the ones who do want to, we want to offer them space to learn from those terrible things. Um, So programs like that, we also offer up um, community education on what healthy relationships look like for young, for high school students, middle high school students. What is, what is a healthy relationship? What is, what are things that you need to look for that are manipulation, that are gaslighting, that are all these things that can lead into domestic violence and sexual assault. And then we do a lot of work with our new American population here in Winchester. So we have a really um, big partnership with SNHU and the Center for New Americans. Um, So they're housed here, which is really cool to have on-site partnering now. So I give you that overview to say all of those things, then I come in and I'm trying to look at, okay, what are the cultural nuances that we need to pay attention to? What is the language used when it comes to somebody filling out a DVP, like a restraining order against someone and do we have access we have relationships with translators with um, interpreters with the language line to ensure that we can serve as many people as possible what does it mean for us to think through let's say the difference of needs for a trafficking victim who is a young black woman um, as opposed to a young white woman now you might not think that those resources are different but 
they are and they can be <laughs> extremely different, even who they feel the advocate they feel comfortable talking to. Right. So sometimes it might be, hey, I see somebody just walked in. Um, make sure that we are not asking X, Y, and Z type questions because that could feel a certain way based off of like a cultural framework reference, right? Or I see this person just walked in. Let's let's make sure that you're connected with the language line because they've already told me that they're from Afghanistan and that's as much English as they have. So we need to find somebody who can speak Arabic or Farsi or whatever it is, right? Um, and that's what it means to kind of apply that lens. So I'm applying that lens and I'm advocating for more resources to ensure that we can continue to apply that lens. So that is like really central to the YW mission. I think what has happened with hiring me is that the mission of eliminating racism racism and empowering women, there's always been a really good spotlight on the empowering women part. And so when I stepped into this position, it was like, we know that we have dropped a ball on the eliminating racism part. So what does that mean? So on top of looking at our existing services and overlaying with that lens, I'm also looking at what are some different things that we need to be doing. What does it mean for us to do racial advocacy work in our community? We need, we're going to have to be more involved in what's happening at the city and state level with regards to policy, right? We're going to have to understand that we're going to have to make space and provide opportunity for folks who space and opportunity is usually provided for, right? So we oftentimes find ourselves like incubating is a real weird word, but it's the only one that I can access at this moment in time, but like incubating minority-led businesses. For example, we have at least three minority-led businesses and or organizations housed in our building free of charge, no rent, because people need space just to operate. And so we recognize that our immigrant, refugee, minority populations aren't don't have the capital necessarily to get the space or whatever it is. So, okay, we have the space. What does it mean for us to say we're opening up our do- doors so that you can have the space to do the programming that you know is best for your community? without us having any oversight in that way, right? It, it requires us operating differently. Give, it does require us sharing resources, space, time, ideas differently. It requires us going to bat for and advocating for these organizations differently. So I find myself doing a lot of that, which is great and I love it. And then I also find myself leaning into the education piece with our students. So working really closely with a high school student population and in particular the BIPOC student population here, um, in Manchester and helping them figure out what is it to advocate for their needs with regards to their identities. Um, and that's probably my biggest joy, if I'm being mm. honest, is the students. And I had the opportunity to come and talk to the students last year, like a year ago now, which is, yeah. feels like it, it was, feels like it was a minute ago, um, about microaggressions, which I was so excited that you brought me in for that. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I was like, can I really do justice to this? And mm-hmm. like, and I, I think I did. And the students were like, job. the students were fucking awesome. They just, they asked good questions. They participated. They, they shared, you know, very mm-hmm. candidly, I think about some of the experiences that they had too. And, and one of my favorite things though, that happened, which was not at all related to microaggressions is that I said something super off the cuff about benthic macroinvertebrates, which <laughs> I wish mm-hmm. people could see your face because you're just like, yes, of course you did, Eric. Mm-hmm. About like, and you, this, and the kids were like, wait, what are those things? And I was like, yeah, I was on the Envirothon team in high school and um, I'm a total dweeb. But they like, they were so excited about it. And I'm like, I need to figure out how to like bring benthic macroinvertebrates to them next. You know what I mean? Like, they were like, but we want to know more. So please continue. No. It's cool. You got to see it, right? Like, yeah. I think something, and we know this, like, there, first of all, 
I'm going to toot my own horn here because I am very proud of this. Do you, I don't think, I don't know if you all as listeners know, it is really hard to get high school students to like you. Yeah. yeah. High school students don't like nothing. They don't, like, they don't like nothing. Like the apathy is real. And I get it. We have not left them much of a future. So I completely understand why. Yeah. Like they don't like nothing. These students like me and they trust me and they show up in a way that is intentional and thoughtful. And these are some students that if we were to go through the four main schools here in, in the Manchester School District, uh, the four main high schools, you wouldn't think would be the ones. They're the they're they're the ones who get all the stereotypes hurled at them. Again, these are BIPOC students. So we're talking about our Latine boys who are coming in here and people are having these thoughts about them. We're talking about our young black men who have locks in their hair and what has been talked about their hair. We're talking about, you know, our young young women of color who are coming in and head coverings and head wraps who have had these stereotypes hurled at them and they're coming in here on Saturday mornings, y'all. Yeah. Saturday morning. Aaron, I had Aaron here. It, you know, you had to be here for like nine o'clock, right? Yeah. So these students are showing up at like 830 like on the Saturday mornings of their own volition mm-hmm. because they trust what we're doing and they know that they're safe and they know they're going to learn something that is going to ideally complement things that they are learning in school. And if it doesn't complement those things, if it's something brand new, then that's even better. So I'm not surprised that they were probably like, no, we want to know more about this. Because if you, if you, I will get on the soapbox. But if mm-hmm. you talk to students, especially these teenagers, in a way that respects that there is intelligence there, that they can grasp, you know, complicated ideas. Yeah, you may have to talk with them through, but like they can get it. That treats them as if they have their own agency, they have their own critical thinking abilities then they're in it. They, they're bought in because you've now showed that you trust them. So they're going to trust you. Um, and I think that you showed up that way. You showed up and you, and when you needed them to be quiet, you were very clear, hey, I need you all to listen up. And I think that there's a respect there. And also you just treated them like young adults. And and so they appreciated it. They responded to that. And that's what it's about. You know, at the very end, I had a student hug me as I was leaving. And I was just like, oh, like <laughs> just fighting back the tears. And they, um, one of the cool things I got to hear about there, some of the projects they were working on too. So you, um, cause part of this program was that they'd come on Saturdays and then they would have, they would work on these projects, you know, yes, that kind of putting the, into practice, their capstones. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Putting into mm-hmm. practice everything that they had learned. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. So yeah. So it's called advocated um, aim and yeah, they would come each Saturday morning um, over the course of the spring semester and we would teach, you know, we would have conversations about microaggressions, about racial identity, about healthy relationships. We're talking about things that are important to them. How do you advocate for your refugee and immigrant peers when they might need something different in the schoolhouse? How do you write a letter, a letter to an elected official to say, hey, this is what we're looking for? How, how do you start? How do you start a petition? Um, like, what, what do you need around that? What does it mean to organize in your community? So we would have these larger conversations and all of it was to culminate in capstone projects after the end of their 12 weeks. And it did. And so, you know, there, it was really interesting. One of the capstone projects, probably my favorite one, honestly, is um, how to get a, like a, a break room almost, how to get a break room for students at Manchester West High School. 
And the reason it's one of my favorites is because the student who who did this capstone, he really was talked about. He was like, there there is a need for students to be able to like sit quietly in certain spaces and to be able to think through an experience that they just had. And people don't always want to be um, like inundated with people saying, "Hey, are you okay? Hey, what do you need? Like, hey, let's talk about like sometimes just leave me alone for a minute. <laughs> I might just need a break so that I can." organize my own thoughts as a young person, as a student here who has to go back to class with this person or this teacher or this whoever who just upset me. Like, I need to be able to think through it. And I just thought it was so thoughtful, like his presentation of it. And, it, you know, it it, just, it was really cool just to see what they needed to advocate for for themselves. And it was, it was legit stuff that we advocate for as adults mm-hmm. all the time. And then we expect them to not have the same needs, which is completely outrageous and ridiculous. So yeah, it it's great. And those students continue to be active. I mean, since even since it ended and it's gonna start up again, I have engaged with almost all of those students in various ways, in ways that they're still showing up in the community. Sometimes it's Miss Emerald, I need a ride to work. And that becomes a part of who you are in your lives as a trusted adult. <laughs> um, you know, it becomes a okay, yeah, I have I have two biological children, and now I have 40 other <laughs> juniors and seniors in high school who need me around also. So that becomes really interesting. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really cool program, and we're hoping to grow. We're hoping to double it this year. Mm-hmm. We're hoping to double it. We really are. Word of mouth is important with this age Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, count me in to come back too, because I would love to be able to come and talk to them, whether it's about yeah. microaggressions or something else, like, or benthic macroinvertebrates. Like, <laughs> you <laughs> make that's what it is. I, well, I don't know. I'm like, yeah. I very much would come and talk about it, but I'd have to brush up on my skills. <laughs> I go have to, I'd have to go do a little research. So, one of the things we've, we, you know, wanted to talk about today is just this idea of like community isn't the antithesis of white dominant culture. And I think we've already like, we've already started peeling that onion, you know, like in kind of going down those layers, because everything that you do is about community. Everything Mm -hmm. is, there's no area of your life in which community is not being, you know, centered. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially like the work you're doing with the students, the work you're doing, just standing up the shelter, the work that you do in, in your consulting work too, is all about Mm -hmm. like community. So it's, you know, that is a sentence that you had said to me before, you know, this community is an antithesis of white dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like, it stuck with me and I wanted to just give us a, some space to talk about it. You want to give it some air to breathe, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To really think through it. Um, so <laughs> there are, um, I, I think I shared this with you personally, Aaron, as I've, you know, me and Erin work together a lot. And so I'm oftentimes sharing ideas with her. She's oftentimes sharing ideas with me and I'm going to try to find the thing that I sent you, because I'm going to actually read directly from it. I think something that I am just leaning more and more into is this idea that in order for us to survive, I mean, the species, we have to work together. And I think something that a lot of, a lot of ideologies have put into our heads, ideologies like capitalism, let's say, Mm -hmm. is that um, there has to be some individualism in order for you to succeed. That may be the case. And also, if you succeed and nobody else does, what's the point of any of this? If our species can't survive, but you can as an individual, what's the point of this, right? 
So I've just I've just really come to the conclusion that there are all of these ideologies and ways of operating that really want us to look at what is what's the whiff them, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What am I getting from this as an individual? An individual doesn't necessarily mean an individual person. It could be you could talk about your individual family, mm-hmm. the, the five people that live in your home. But so many decisions that are made that are harmful are only looking at that. What's in it for me and these 10 people who are closest to me? And that's just not that's just not helping us. It's killing. It's quite literally killing us. Yeah. Um, something that I like really have started to think through is this idea of refusal of care and of collectivity. And so the collectivity pieces is, is kind of where, where we're sticking with, right? And so I just have this idea that says, and I'm reading it because I sent it to you, it was on my whiteboard, but it says, remember that everything worthwhile is done in community and with others. Mm-hmm. Everything worthwhile is done in community with others. And care really is the antidote to all forms of oppression and violence. Mm-hmm. And in order for us to care, we have to be in community. And in order for us to be in community, we have to care very deeply about the people next to us. We cannot just be thinking about ourselves as individuals. And not, and it doesn't show up anymore, Aaron. And this is like really hard for people to swallow. Really hard pill for people to swallow. We talk, you know, I was talking to somebody recently about, I don't know if you saw this, but in Virginia, like the six-year-old got arrested for shooting his teacher. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. So we're talking about this whole thing. And I, I was talking about this with a group of folks and they were just saying like, oh, like, you know, this is terrible as, as and it is absolutely terrible. And then they're like, you know, it just, I don't know what I would do if it were my kid. And I was just like, but what does it matter if it's your kid or not? It's a child in this world. And, and my child, my children don't deserve more than that other child simply because they're mine. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually not community. I care about all of these children in the same way. I care very deeply about all these children in the same way. And I think that becomes really hard for people to like fully understand. So it's like, well, it, it's not impacting my kid this way, but it's impacting a child this way. Hmm. And if we are in community with one another, then all of these children matter. All of these people matter because this is our large community. So anything that's happening to me is happening to you and anything that's happening to you is this idea of Ubuntu, right? Like our humanities are inextricably tied to one another. So if you are experiencing homelessness and acute um, drug misuse and all of these things are happening to you, they are impacting me inevitably. Mm-hmm. And that means I have to get involved. Right. And people don't see it that way, but it's true. And what they do see is the negative impact of like a business. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, my business is being negatively impacted because there are unhoused people out front. That's that individualistic mm-hmm. piece. That's not community. Community is thinking about what's the root issue to ensure that not only are you getting your me- needs met with your business, but then the people who are unhoused in the middle of a snowstorm are also getting their needs met. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that make for all of us to be better? Doesn't that make for society to be better? Like, all of that needs to be looked at. So I'm just always thinking about what does it mean to say, not just is it happening to me, not just is it happening to those closest to me, but if it's happening to a human being, I have to care about it. I have to care about it. I have to. Because my humanity is inextricably tied to everybody else's humanity. Mm-hmm. And if I stop caring about that, then I stop, then I cease to lean into my humanity. And I, that's just not, I have no interest in that. 
I think that that's what I mean. And then we talk, you know, when we can start getting to the white dominant culture norms, we can start talking about the idea of individualism, the only right way. We can start talking about paternalism. All of that is not about what the community needs at the table. So community and relationship building has to be the antithesis of white dominant culture just because of what it requires in other in order for us to like truly lean into this idea of community. It makes me think about like systems thinking and mm. you know one of the and just which is not something that folks I think it's like not super intuitive for reasons because it's complex like these are the things that we don't see like direct cause and effect necessarily mm. in when we when we look at systems so it's like the idea of you, just you kind of making the the point that like every, we are all inter- inextricably linked to one another mm-hmm. and the, the actions that we do have, you know, have a ripple effect that we can't even necessarily understand mm-hmm. on, you know, on other folks within our community too. And it's, it's, I was talking about this recently, this concept of, oh my lordy, again, I'm a dork, um, like Kunavin, um, which is a, which is a Welsh word. And it's, it what basically it is is like how do we respond to certain situations mm-hmm. and get in a given context per se mm-hmm. and so there's a you know you have a different response when something's simple versus when something's complicated mm-hmm. complex or chaotic and the complex aspect is really just like it's starting to recognize that like that we can't that we have to actually lean into solutions Mm. We have to, or in solutions is almost like not exactly the right word for these kinds of things as well. But like, but it's about like allowing for emergence and the leaning into those things versus mm-hmm. that kind of like deciding we're going to go in a certain direction or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it is intuitive and emergent and not necessarily rooted in kind of like, oh, we know what's best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Will you send me that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, I put together like lovely slides that I will yeah. send to you. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I want to take a look at that and figure out like how to overlay it. Right. Yeah. So because it's, it, it's interesting because you're giving me this Welsh word and I'm going to lean all the way into like the Black Power movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like similar ideas. Right. Yeah. This. Um, so one, just recognizing that even when you are faced with a decision and like what your reaction is going to be, like there are things that we can automatically rule out that we don't even have to have a reaction or thought to. And I, this is something that I've also talked to you about. Um, this idea of like not, I, so this is from Stokely Carmichael, Carmichael, this idea of like not collaborating with oppressive systems. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about like, it, it doesn't matter what the oppressive system is trying to offer. If it's oppressive to a member of our community, which should be, almost everybody, then mm-hmm. we don't want to collaborate with it. So it's interesting to think then, like, say the word, the Welsh word for me again. Cunefin. And it's like, and when you look at it, it actually looks like cinefin. And so I've been calling it cinefin for a long time. And and then I realized when I was looking it up again, I was like, oh, I've been butchering that for a very long time. For a good minute. But it does make me wonder, like, how we overlay that idea with not only are our reactions going to differ based off of what it is but like where are there moments where we know that we don't even have to have a reaction because mm-hmm. i'm not going to collaborate with an oppressive system so i actually don't have to give my energy and have a reaction to that yeah i know what this system is i'm going to remo- remove myself from it as much as possible i'm going to figure out ways to either dismantle it or, or so change it so fundamentally mm-hmm. that it's, it's unrecognizable mm-hmm. but i'm not collaborating so I do want, there, there's got to be some overlap in like, not only just recognizing like 
the level or or type of response, but when do I not even have to have or give one? And they mm. being okay with that. I think so much of what we do sometimes when it comes to equity work is we just give our energy to everything. Yeah. And that yep. keeps us from our focus. So much so many things are a distraction. So many things are a distraction. And it's like of course people want to respond to whatever op-ed or whatever it is, but like that's right. just a distraction. Just keep doing the work and recognize when you have to give a reaction to something because you don't have to give a reaction to everything. Right. Somebody had once told me that like being a leader is really about figuring out what, where to put your time and energy, you mm-hmm. know, and like, and where you can serve your energy versus mm-hmm. expend it. And I, you know, and it's one of those things, I think I went so hard for so long, you know, mm-hmm. at things. I was on three boards at the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. I was on three different boards and mm-hmm. I, I scaled it back over the course of like a year or so, because I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I can't give so much of myself to all of these things. I was spreading myself so thin and, and I can't show up in the way that I need to show up for my community, for others mm-hmm. to the work that I need to do if I'm depleting myself. And we have the plans, right? Like that. Yeah. And, and another reason to be in the community, because you need somebody who, like, I think you and I are, where we can yeah. we can say our plans out loud to one another. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to check back in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you know I'm going to check back in. And we have these plans on where we're going, these things that we want to do, and we get distracted. Yeah. And especially when it comes to equity work, it's okay that we can't do everything. But we know what we are doing and we know that we have a clear path ahead in our individual lanes that are obviously broken line lanes because we're going to have to be able to collaborate with one another. But we but we understand our lanes. Let's not get distracted about what's happening on the other side of the highway. Mm -hmm. What they got going on is what they got going on. And that accident looks like it is a mess. But we got to keep moving and not get distracted, not start rubbernecking, Mm -hmm. which is what starts holding us up and what we're trying to do to move forward. Right. And I think it happens all the time. All these things come out. This new story comes out. This person says this incendiary thing. People want to propose this new bill. I'm not saying those aren't important things, but I'm saying when that's not your lane, I'm not a politician. Mm-hmm. So if if the New Hampshire House wants to propose a bill that, that I disagree with, I can express my disdain. But what I'm not going to do is spend four days stressed out about it trying to call people and talk about it, write an op-ed about it. I'm going to look to the people who are in the New Hampshire house who I know are in alignment with my views and ideas. And I'm going to say, I know, you know, this is problematic. The constituency in this way understands that it's problematic. Please go do your job with regards to mm-hmm. the problematic thing. And then I'm trusting in my community that they're going to go do their job right. the same way. Hey, we're seeing an uptick in women who are unhoused in the winter months. We know that we don't know how to do this. Great. YW, we know how to do this. Here is our line. It doesn't mean that we don't care about all the things, but I'm not going to get overly distracted with the the tricks of folks on the other side of the highway. Because we got, I got somebody for that. I got, I got a guy for that. <laughs> right? If it's legislation, I got, I got somebody for that. If it's law enforcement, I got somebody for that. If it's somebody who needs to be able to speak on a large public scale, I got somebody for that. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean for us to build that community in a way that's super intentional and then know this is where my efforts and energy goes and I am supporting and advocating for those people and where their efforts and energy go? Mm-hmm. 
we don't know how to do that really well here because we want to be. But that's this idea of individualism because right. we got to be the one to do everything. Mm-hmm. I got to I got to be everything. I got to be in the front of everything. It's got to be my opinion. No, it does not. Have a community. Right. And it's like it, when you think about how the flow of information happens in those mm-hmm. in those kinds of situations, it's like those folks want to be the hub of something because mm-hmm. they want they want to hoard that power. They want to control the Im- yep. They want to control the, the flow of information. Mm-hmm. And um, as you were talking, it made me think about a concept called network weaving. You know, which is like mm-hmm. starting to bring in people into the network so that it's and making connections between them so that it that does help to lift up the whole too. Or flocking, flocking. Yeah, I know. Flocking, yeah, murmuration. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, nothing, none of this is new. It's just, what does it actually mean to put it into practice, Mm -hmm. to use these things and to recognize that in order for us to survive and succeed, we have to, because these ways of working in these individualistic ways are just killing us. They're, they're stripping us of our, of our capacity to offer grace for, care for, and love one another. Mm -hmm. They're, They're depleting us of our mental health of our physical health, depleting us of our monetary and fiduciary resources. But when we think about this in a collectivist manner, it feels it's going to feel very different and it feels very different. And what I I would argue, and this is a whole other conversation, I would argue that what we would gain if we were to move towards more collectivist ways of thinking would far outweigh what we would lose in terms of like individualistic, you know, uh, material ownership or, or whatever people mm. think that, that I might be talking about. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And it just, something else that I'm also really, I've been holding more and more recently is when we talk about collectivism, we are recognizing that not only, not only is it about ensuring that folks who may have who may experience marginalization oppression who may experience just going without for whatever that reason is in that moment not only are we going to be able to uplift and pick them up in a different way but for us those of us who maybe don't experience certain things or that you know people like to say the haves and the have not so the haves the things that we will learn that we will get in the culture the art the friendship Again, community building, the things that will be gained through a process of understanding collectivism, I think is we like are not even being considered. We're not even considering that there is no monetary value that I can place on the introduction to of our Afghani refugees into this community. There's no monetary value I can place on the foods that I have now tried and found mm-hmm. out that I like. Uh, learning more and more about soccer from these young Afghan students, right? Like there are things, and I'm just using that as one example, one very small example. There are things that we can't even place value on that we would gain. And I don't think people look at it in that way. Because what makes us rich is cultural. What makes us rich is our connection to one another. And so when we start to reframe our narrative perspective of those things, it be, it's just, it's, um, it's really exciting, honestly. It's it, it becomes really very, very exciting. And I wish more people could understand and see that. I wish more people could slow down and see it. You know, I think that that's 
it, well, individualism yeah. requires us to continue to be moving, to be moving quickly, mm-hmm. to not have any concern or thought about those around us, to be constantly trying to hoard, to gain more for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Why would I slow down when I'm trying to make sure that I have more than the person next to me? It also cr- creates these, it's not, it doesn't do just like a disservice to like folks trying to be in community with one another or with others as well, but it's also just, it like robs people of their own humanity in so many ways like that Mm -hmm. constant it's like so intertwined with capitalism and that needing to rush that needing to quantity over quality like the Mm -hmm. need for more um all of those we're just like playing bingo with like white supremacy characteristics right now yeah Uh, (laughs) all of them them. it's every single piece yeah yeah and it's i think about you know myself who's i've been like so mired in like hustle mm-hmm. culture for so long even though i've like continually like am so working so hard to get out of it because mm-hmm. like fuck that like but also at the same time it's like it's super rooted in like scarcity mindset and this mm-hmm. like f- and fear you know really and truly you know it's i'm trying to break up with that you know more and more and i feel like a lot of my friendship with you is helping me to like you you continually remind me like aaron life is more than just work. You know, Erin, mm-hmm. like you have, like come experience like this stuff, like let yes. go of responsibility. <laughs> like live, live your life. I, yeah. we just, you know, I, especially those of us, listen, I could, I could talk all day long about some identity pieces that make me feel this mm-hmm. way. But I think in general, the only identity that you need is to be a human being, mm-hmm. to deserve rest, and restoration, to deserve care, to deserve softness, and like gentleness, right? And I think in order for us to be able to give that to folks, we have to slow down, like rest is slowing down. Can you, you know, I think you and I both read this, but we rest is resistance. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the things that stuck out to me about that book, seriously, Aaron, so I read it over when I was in a Dominican in December, mm-hmm. early December. I read it just laying on the beach. Like, I think I read it in one yeah. day because I was just laying there not doing anything. And the thing that stuck out to me about it was this idea that not only has rest been stolen from us from hustle culture, but our dreams have because, mm-hmm. like, our dreamscape has been taken from us. Mm-hmm. And in our dreams is our innovation. That is where we innovate. That is where we figure out if we can't dream and imagine what the world could be like, mm-hmm. if we can't even get ourselves to stop and think about that, then we're working towards extinction. Like that's 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 the only thing we are doing. And so and the only qualifier for you deserving rest is that you exist. That's the only qualifier. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people see it that way, but we deserve rest. We deserve to have gentle, soft lives. All of us, every single one of us, even people who I am diametrically opposed to politically or whatever, you exist, so you deserve to be cared for. But that, again, that is a mind of, that's a mind moving out of scarcity into abundance because we're going to have what we need because the earth provided us everything that we needed. And we have it in abundance and we just have to make sure that we are caring for everyone in our species in our community in this way and don't even get me started talking about not in our species but i mean it's it's sort of the earth and like like i could go in that but like let's just talk about humanity for a second like Mm -hmm. we can take care of humanity yeah but we have to be willing to slow down 
to dream about something more and different, to be in community and recognize that more and bigger isn't always better. And to and again, I can't say it enough, to recognize that our humanity is inextricably tied to one another. And but I think you're absolutely right. People need to slow down. Rest. Yeah. Rest. Rest and travel. That's how you get mm-hmm. to be somebody in the world who can really care about other people when you go to other places and when you slow down and allow yourself, your body, the ability to restore, your mind, the ability to kind of turn off for a second and just enjoy the physical world around us because it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's awe-inspiring. And once you get into those places and you're like, oh, I want more people to see this or I want to figure out what does it mean for other people to be able to feel this softness, this gentleness in this moment. But you got to slow down and be able to do that. People don't slow down. Yeah, people don't slow down. And it's much easier to stay distracted Mm -hmm. than it is to, because slowing down, I think, takes some work to, you know, or it takes work, I think. It's also savior complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, well, I'm busy. I'm doing all these things, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Like, People say that I have a lot going on. I do have a lot going on, but let's not act like 50% of what I have going on just me traveling for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. me resting for yeah. myself, right? Like, but people are always like, I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm trying to say, like, right. you, don't, you don't need to be the savior and stop censoring yourself. Mm-hmm. Center yourself for your rest and then come back in community so that we can continue to figure out what we all need together. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, everything worth doing is done in community. So if you're always busy mm-hmm. by yourself out there, mm-hmm. then you ain't doing nothing worth doing because you ain't doing it in community with others. Right. So. Right. I'm just saying. No, it's true. It's like, I think that, and I, I continually need that reminder. <laughs> I will tell you I this. I, there is not a single thing that I work on that I am not, that I don't have somebody who I work with closely on it. Whether it's consulting, you were that person, right? When it is stuff at YW, I have a CEO here who is, who help, who really leads this shit with me right next to her. And when either of us have to figure out something like we are texting, we're in constant communication, as well as our larger staff. I think about even with our students, I um, have built such a great relationship with the chief equity officer here in Manchester School District. And she and I are constantly in communication about, okay, students are reaching out about this or this popped up. We might want to get ready to provide supports here. Like nothing, there isn't a single thing in my life that I that matters, that is building something big that I am not doing in community with mm. somebody else. Yeah. Like you have to be. Yeah. We don't build things by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Exactly. So can I ask you one last thing? Yes. Okay. What does what does it mean to give a damn? What does it mean to give a damn? Um, you know, it's everything that we've talked about. I really think it is removing yourself from the center of all of your thoughts and recognizing that you are part of this larger collective. What does it mean for the larger collective to get their needs met? Not just you, not just the people closest to you. Anything other than that, in my opinion, is selfish. Mm. And I think in order to give a damn, we have to we have to see ourselves as a part of the collective. 
and not as somebody outside of it trying to fix it, not as somebody who is a who's been victimized by it. I'm not saying that has, but we can't only see ourselves in those ways. We have to actually see ourselves as a part of it. Sometimes that means that we have to acknowledge that I participate in this problematic system. I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that. Sometimes it means I'm not getting my needs met because of this larger problematic system. And so I can't just fix it on my own. I have to look at the fact that a lot of people aren't. So what does it mean for us to work together? Like, I'm a part of being hurt by it. I'm a part of perpetuating things. I'm like, but we can't, I think so much, we want to see ourselves as individual as outside of this larger thing happening. But like, in order to give a damn, you have to recognize you are a part of the collective. In whichever way it ebbs and flows, you're a part of it. Mm. What does it mean for us to work together so that we can control how it's ebbing and flowing, but we have to, we can't, I can't do that as outside of the collective. I, I have to be a part of it. That's how you give a damn about things. Otherwise it's selfish. Otherwise it's your needs, your wants, your desires. And it's not thinking about the fact that billions of other people exist around you. <laughs> right. The other piece that you just said that made me think about this is that if you aren't thinking like that. And if you're only thinking about the individual and your kind of aspects, you're missing key information, mm-hmm. missing a lot of key mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Um, because like we never, like whenever you look at something from a single perspective, you don't see the whole picture. You're never going to see the whole picture. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe part two of me talking with you is that, so then what do we do about people who simply understand that and don't want to do because that's real. Some people know. Some people, some people will, will agree with everything that we just talked about and still say, and also, I just don't want to do that. I want to be selfish in these ways. I want to, because they exist in the world. Sure I like do. to give most people the benefit of the doubt and say, maybe you just don't recognize that there is another way. You don't understand that there really is another way that we can be operating. So let me give you that information. There are some people who have that information and just like, no, I'm just not interested. I know. And it's like, I don't understand that because I'm like, I want, I don't understand that. <laughs> but it's like, well, it's rooted in all sorts of things. It's rooted in all types of things. I thank you so much for being with me today. This is like fantastic. You know, I love spending time with you. And this is, it feels Thanks. like such a gift to get this time together. The feeling is mutual. Thank you to Emerald Anderson Ford for joining me in conversation today. If you want to learn more about her work, you can check out socialcred.org. Check the show notes for links. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. Make sure to follow Rise and Rouse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Rouse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com. Rise and Rouse is created and hosted by me, Erin Allgood. It is produced and edited by Steph George of Stefania Audio. Production support from Grace Cleary-Morin and Yana Krasanova. Our theme music is written and produced by Chris Marion. 